Welcome, everyone, to another hot stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. On this episode, we're going to talk about a few signings. Uh, It's not who the Red Sox signed. It's kind of who they missed out on, and we'll kind of weigh in on whether or not we thought they were a fit uh, for the Red Sox, and we'll, we'll talk about where these pitchers ultimately did end up and how uh, it will affect uh, their new team. With me tonight is Cody Paulson. Cody? Sir, how you doing? Happy to be on the on the pod again. Great to see you as always. Um, a lot of movement, you know, uh, over, over the past couple of weeks. We're starting to see signings left and right. Um, you know, a little bit less of the, oh, people are in, you know, heavy discussions, heated talks, um, you know, on the one yard line, it's more so just like pop up deals. Hey, this guy signed for you know three thirty nine or one year seventeen, whatever it might be. You know, just throwing some arbitrary numbers out there, but um, it does make for a more exciting Twitter feed for sure. Because every time you refresh it, you know somebody could, could be could be going somewhere else. Yeah. How are you doing, Terry? I'm not doing too bad, and uh, as you know, but the audience doesn't know some technical issues. I get frazzled pretty easy when that happens. So hopefully, I'll you know beyond my normal algorithm here but as uh as far as you know the market like you were talking about it's so different now compared to like three four years ago i mean i we've had this podcast since uh 2017 and it's just a fast market like you said like it took so long for you know the top free agents to to sign in previous seasons and last season, the lockout kind of complicated it a little. And and of course you had the pandemic, but even before that, um, it would just, it would take teams and agents forever to finally get things done. Now it's like Aaron judge, you know, he meets with four teams. They get to the bottom of it within a handful of days and, and it's done. There's just no messing around. Teams, I I think teams and agents are just cutting to the chase a lot quicker, and it is what it is. And um, Carlos Correa, also, we're not really going to cover him that much, but signed with the Giants, three hundred and fifty-two million, I want to say. So the only premium middle infielder left that we're going to be watching out for is Dansby Swanson. So. I'd be shocked if he doesn't have a team in uh, two weeks tops. Yeah, well, Christmas. And you got to think that's like an eight two hundred at least kind of deal with yeah. the way the market's been trending. Exactly. I mean, I don't see how. I mean, everyone figured he would get the least of all of them, but um, with with everybody getting at or above three, Xander, I guess, was two eighty. But you got to figure he's got to be at least in the low twos, uh, Dansby. Minimum. Yeah. I, I feel like this this offseason more than ever, we've kind of seen it play out more like a like a draft board, right? Like you have your your go to guy. Hey, if he falls to us in the first, we'll put we'll pick him. And if he doesn't, we kind of have a game plan that we can go to right after that. Bam, bam, bam. And and we're kind of seeing the similar similarities here, right? You know, you have uh, your big free agent that you want to target. You know, the the guy you're going to throw the most millions at, and and if he doesn't sign, we got to move quickly to get to the next guy before somebody else does. And you know, it makes it all more entertaining and all more fun for us. A lot of things for us to talk about for sure. But it's been really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So if this is um, how it's going to be going forward, I mean, December is just going to be an action-packed month for sure. Um, so. 
nothing on the Red Sox front. Uh, they signed the outfielder there from Japan, Masataka Yoshida and Kenley Jansen. That might have happened all on the same day, if I'm not mistaken, or or back-to-back days. But if uh, anybody wants our thoughts on that, that was a couple of episodes ago. So we... Um, you know, gave some uh, in-depth takes on that. Um, and then, of course, the last episode was the Xander Reaction uh, episode. So uh, you can check that out as well. But uh, since Yoshida and Jansen, all has been quiet. Um, so we're going to talk about three guys, like I said in the intro, that uh, have signed in the last, uh, I don't know, 24 to 72 hours. Uh, some of whom I, I was kind of hoping maybe the Red Sox would have interest in. Um, we haven't really been connected to a starter that we are aware of since Zach Eflin, and we lost out to the Rays on him, of all people. So, But uh, the, the biggest notable starting pitcher to sign uh, in the last few days, Chris Bassett signed a three-year, $62 million deal with the Toronto Blue Jays, that's $21 million annually. And, you know, he is headed to a, um, you know, a, a pretty loaded staff over there in Toronto. So n- certainly not the destination I foresaw uh, with him. But what were your thoughts on that move? Yeah, you know, this was kind of one of the first deals we saw after those mega deals, right? So, you know, we were getting all of these multiple hundred million dollar deals, eight, 10, 12 years, whatever you call it. And so it was really kind of hard for us to, to calibrate and get a get a good feeling, right? You know, when you start seeing these numbers come out, um, you never really had a finger on the pulse. You didn't really know what to expect for kind of that next level of uh, free agents. And, you know, to see him get 362 for Toronto, um, kind of feels like one of those deals that we should have been all over, right? You know, where as an organization claiming free agency flexibility, roster payroll flexibility, this seems like something, you know, that we should have at least been in the room with, right? We're, we're the interest kings. We have interests on pretty much every free agency. You know, we're trying to get meetings. Um, and the AL East, as long as I can remember, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, has always been an arms race, Right. You know, we used to firmly be within it, uh, be us and the Yankees and, you know, maybe a third rogue AL East team. But right now it's it's the Jays and the Yankees, you know, Baltimore and, and Tampa kind of construct their team differently. They do it with um, homegrown talent and a method that's proven to work. You know, I think Baltimore has a has a bright future. Those aren't, you know, 15 wins you can circle on the calendar every year. And and the Red Sox are kind of stuck somewhere in the middle uh, in between those two, right? We try to go out there and nitpick and get a free agent here and there, maybe a trade here and there, while also keeping an eye on the draft and trying to sign um, sign some talent there. You know, Bassett, he's 33, but I think he's I, I think he's trending in the right direction. He had a little bit of a later start to his career. I think he got kind of his footing around 26, 27. So maybe there's a little less um, miles on the arm, a little more tread on the tires, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, It's just, why aren't, why aren't we having these meetings? Why aren't we getting, uh, I guess, closer to the finish line with guys like this? Um, I, I really am interested to see if, if this is kind of the deal that sets the tone for that next level of, of free agent arms, Um, you know, 
Rondon's still out there. Who knows what he could get? I hear he's he's trying to get eight years from somebody on a nine-figure deal. So, you know, we'll we'll really kind of see where uh, the free agent pitcher market goes. Yeah, and, you know, it's frustrating because we never heard the Red Sox connected to Bassett, and $21 million annually isn't really – that's not a lot. You're not really breaking the bank when you pursue a starter like that. And he's not that overpowering. I mean, he has a fastball that hovers around 93 or so. Uh, he throws a really good sinker. Uh, so he's more of a finesse guy. He was, um, he gave up, he was one of the pitchers last year who gave up the fewest hard contact. I think the average exit velocity on him was 85 miles an hour. So that's extremely low. And, uh, you know, he was able to, uh, you know, stay away from the hard contact. So I think the Red Sox badly need a guy who can overpower people. I think we're missing that with uh, Nathan Avaldi and Avaldi's velocity tanked anyway so i'm not saying we should sign him but he was one of those guys we had uh the last few years uh chris sale remains to be seen how hard he's going to be throwing um paxton complete wild card pavetta not a hard thrower uh bayo sits around 95 96 i think so bassett really wouldn't uh wouldn't have been the hardest throwing guy on the staff but having said that uh, probably would be the ace of the staff, I would say, based on uh, recent performances. And where he's not super overpowering, that could probably translate to, you know, a longer career. You know, he could pitch deeper into his 30s because he's not, you know, on the edge of blowing out his elbow like some of these other guys uh, you get a little bit nervous about. So... With the Blue Jays, he's going to be uh, in the same rotation as Kevin Gosman, so that's going to be a nice... Well, I shouldn't say one, two, because Alec Manoa uh, could be their ace by now. So Bassett actually probably slots in as a number three. And then you got Barrios right behind him, mm-hmm. who, if they could just figure it out, he's more of a top-of-the-rotation guy. He had a terrible 2022, so... We'll see uh, what they do, and I can't remember if Kikuchi uh, is still around for one more year. Uh, but I'm, I just said a second ago, Bassett would be our number one. He's Toronto's number three. <laughs> so, I mean, he's number three if if Barrios can't figure it out, and if he does, then he becomes the four, which even just lengthens <laughs> their rotation, right? Like they're set up so well uh, every five days, and you know, Kikuchi's nothing to to thumb your nose at either, right? We would gladly take a guy like that in our rotation right now. Well, uh, I I worry about him being kind of, you know, prone to the long ball, but he would certainly give you innings, and that's something where we're uh, very skeptical about with a couple of guys. So, um, so good signing with the Blue Jays. Like I said, I never foresaw him going there. Toronto is one of the higher uh, income tax uh, teams, so you're giving up a larger portion of your salary. Uh, California is probably the second worst. I, I can't imagine New York uh, is too good, but Texas, Florida don't have an income tax. So 
I never put a lot of stock into that, but when you hear Jake DeGrom come out and say, I want to play for the Rangers or the Astros, <laughs> it's gonna, yeah. it's starting to be a factor. So, but he didn't seem to care about that. And, uh, you know, if he wants to go to Toronto, that tells me he's, he probably wants to win. And that's a team I had them going to the world series last year mm-hmm. and, uh, didn't quite make it. So kind of a bummer. Uh, we weren't involved in that, but bloom is yet to make a, uh, a big commitment to a, um, top line starter, at least one that's had, you know, a recent good run of health. All right. So let's get to the second pitcher. He just signed hours ago with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. That is Noah Syndergaard. He's going to get a $13 million guarantee with uh, $1.5 million in incentives. I haven't seen what those are, but it's usually X number of innings pitched and whatnot. Um, so interesting signing there. And that $13 million, that's like about a a $5 million, $5 or $6 million pay cut uh, compared to what he had last year when he started with Anaheim. Not a super great year for him, but Dodgers willing to uh, take a chance. What are your thoughts on that? You kind of you kind of bookended it there for me, right? You know, I saw I saw that he signed one year, thirteen million with the Dodgers, and my initial response, and you know, this is a real bummer for me to say, but was who cares, right? Like, obviously, he was going to be pitching in the major leagues this year, but. You know, in our memories, obviously, you know, he came up uh, with the Mets when they had that thing rocking in the mid-2010s. He was a mainstay for that, getting Cy Young votes. You know, he had the long hair going. They had the, uh, the comic books. He was Thor. You know, things were things were great. And he was an A-list pitcher. Somebody, you know, said it and forget it. He could give you seven shutout innings, multiple-digit uh, strikeouts. And he just hasn't been the same. He's had a litany of injuries. You know, obviously, you were talking about that Um guys gassing up their elbows potentially blowing it out and and that's what we saw you know he was throwing 98 99 four seamer two seamer with a 93 mile an hour slider or sinker i, I can't remember which um with the mats. off speed yeah right, exactly it was disgusting um, and you you had to figure he was going to have a problem eventually <laughs> right but he was so fun to watch and i i think right now he's he's going from team to team based on name value alone and then I dug into the numbers, and he's only had one season in his entire career where his ERA was above four. Everything else has been under under four. Which I, you know, if you had given me a multiple choice question or a true false, I would have I would have missed that every time. I would have been like, oh yeah, he's had a he's had a season where he's been in the fives or something like that, right? Because he just doesn't look the same, and it's such a bummer for for an arm that was so electric for a personality that could handle it. Uh, you know, when the lights were bright, he he pitched well. Um, but I think the Dodgers uniquely become a position for him that he could settle in nicely, right? Because there isn't going to be an expectation for him to carry anything. There isn't going to be an expectation for him to push his body to a limit in which it can't handle or can't hold up for, right? He gets to be the three, four, five guy that gets to come in, you know, pitch, figure out his rhythm, figure out his routine and, and add value that way, right? You got... Urias, uh, apologies if I mispronounced that one, Kershaw, Gonsolin, May, and then Syndergaard. Again, another deep rotation. Um, you know, if if Syndergaard were to come to Boston, he would immediately be slotted into a top three spot. We'd be counting on him to be the stopper if we needed it or, you know, uh, a potential shutdown guy. But he doesn't have to do that for the Dodgers like he did, you know, when they gave him all that money in Anaheim because they didn't have anybody else besides Shohei. Um 
as you know, as much of a bummer as it is to see a guy that once had such a promising career not really be able to to live up to it in a healthy regard, I really hope you know he he's able to find something out in LA. Well, that's just it. That's the interesting thing. Um, it, it, his fastball may never come back to what it was, which was in the upper 90s. I don't know if he ever touched 200, but he was certainly one of those overpowering guys. Now it's 93 to 94. Um, the big glaring issue with him was his uh, drop in strikeouts. He had a 6.3 strikeout per nine. That's really low. That that's a guy who's not striking out, um, you know, many batters. And I guess what I was getting at was what's interesting is the Dodgers uh, turned uh, Andrew Heaney around last year. Tyler Anderson, another guy uh, that that got it turned around. Um, Heaney uh, only pitched mostly in the second half, though, uh, due to injuries, but he still did pitch 72. Uh, pretty good quality innings, uh, 310 ERA. Uh, Anderson basically pitched a full season, uh, was very effective. He ended up going back to Anaheim uh, in a deal earlier this season. Some might wa- wonder if the Red Sox were going to go after him, but uh, Anaheim swooped in fast. So basically where, where those two pitchers, Heaney and um, Anderson were both kind of fixed by the Dodgers. It's going to be interesting to see what they can do with Syndergaard. We know the Rays and the Indians. Ah, I keep slipping. I was so good all season long by saying guardians really right out of the gates. It was guardians every time. Now I'm like, I it's the opposite, but um, the Rays and the guardians always seem to be able to fix guys or just, you know, they, they develop so well, you know, even their younger guys, Find something, tweak something, notice something, you know, we were watching, watching tape and we saw you do this and then boom, you know, revival. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, now it's the Dodgers that seem to be that program that, that are, are figuring it out. And I, I think the, the Padres are going to get, to that level as well because their pitching coach actually came from Cleveland. So, and you did start to see Blake Snell uh, start to have a revival. And I think he did pitch a pretty good one or two uh, postseason starts as well. So he's in the right place. If he came to Boston, I probably wouldn't have loved it. Um, apparently there was a little bit of uh, interest in Syndergaard. There was some talk earlier in the day, and then Chris Cotillo came out and said, well, there was interest, but it wasn't, you know, there was never really a ton of momentum behind Mm -hmm. it. So uh, it would have been one of those curious signings. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a big Dave Bush guy. Uh, You know, I hope he can turn this staff around next year, but uh, I'm just not sure Boston really had a, a program that was going to be suitable for a guy like Syndergaard. So um, he did find one in L.A. I mean, you know, for for a guy of his stature at this point, you, you just wish for nothing but the best for him, right? I mean, obviously him being out on the West Coast and being in the NL, it's easier to root for a guy that's not going to potentially hurt you until, until the World Series. Um, but, you, I mean, you're absolutely right, right? You know, yeah, we might have been linked to him a little bit, but I think we've got enough revival or reclamation projects that we gotta we gotta focus on in house. Getting him in here, uh, kind of muddying up those waters isn't 
isn't something that I, I necessarily circled on our uh, bingo card in, in the off season or to do list to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. He did have a couple. Of, he wasn't like super dominant in the postseason, but he he had a couple of uh, like four inning outings that kind of get the Phillies off to uh, a decent start in a couple of those games as they made mm-hmm. that deep run. Um, so, all right, final guy that the Red Sox missed out on. I thought this could have been an okay fit. I would have preferred this guy over a guy like uh, Zach Eflin, even though he's not quite, uh, you know, he, he doesn't quite have the, the velo of an Eflin type guy, but that's Ross Stripling. He goes to the San Francisco Giants on a two-year 25 million dollar deal it's kind of a weird split so in the first year he gets a five million dollar signing bonus and then a a 7.5 million salary i don't know what the benefit is there in splitting it up that way because the signing bonus still goes against the luxury tax so it's not like a way to skirt around it but that's how his deal is broken down interestingly i've never seen this before he has to donate $62,500 to the Giants Community Fund. That's part of his deal. So he he has to make an annual donation of that every year. But but he's going to a staff that includes Logan Webb, who is one of the, um, you know, the up-and-coming pitchers uh, in this this game. He could be a a multi-Cy Young winner by the time his career is over. Uh, Alex Wood, uh, Alex Cobb, uh, Anthony DiScofani, and they actually did just sign Sean Manaya, who had a terrible second half with the Padres, whose pitching program I was just saying nice things about, so they couldn't fix Manaya. But um, so he's going to a rotation with a lot of retreads uh, in it, basically. So um, were you surprised that that was the destination, and do you think he'll? Uh, he'll be able to extend on what ended up being a pretty good uh, 2022. I don't know if I was surprised about where he ended up, um, you know, with the success that the Padres and the Dodgers have had the last couple of years, you know, if the Giants sat on their thumbs, it obviously looks even worse than it does in the vacuum of you don't get anything during free agency. Right now, obviously they went out and got the the big splash move with, with Correa, but um, you know, this move, the Manaya move, excuse me, um, these were the moves that I was going to be the most excited about coming into this offseason, right? Um, it's not I – didn't, I didn't see this free agent class being the one where, you know, you win, uh, you win the offseason, you print the shirts in, in December, and then you host, hoist the hardware in October. Uh, for me, this one was the one where you get incrementally or marginally better with the small moves. Two for 25? Are you kidding me? That should be our wheelhouse. We should be stockpiling guys like this that have had, you know, proven success in the majors at low potential risk for the organization, right? Um, The 2013 team that won the World Series was built on a throne of guys that had 339 deals, right? And if it doesn't pan out, bummer, right? But that's not that much money, Uh, even as, as you mentioned it, right? Five million signing bonus, seven million salary. And then 1% of the deal is going towards a charitable organization, which I think we're starting to see more of across the MLB, which I think is a really cool thing to, to throw into contracts if, you know, if you can get that on the dotted line there. Um, he, again, at, joins another 
deep rotation, right? So there's not going to be this immediate pressure for him to come into a new city and ball out immediately. He can get his feet wet. He can get, you know, kind of his routine, his um, just, you know, what he needs to be successful right away. And potentially that's what's scaring people away from Boston at this point is any new shiny toy that we get, there is going to be not only the expectation of playing in Boston, but carrying this team that is kind of in the middle of an ocean with no sails and and no wind, right? Like, where where are we going? What is our direction? What are we doing? Um, unless you can find a bona fide guy that has you know proven to be a Cy Young winner or an MVP or an All Star perennially, I don't know if we are really getting that pull like we used to. You make uh, some excellent points, and the interesting thing also would have been say the Red Sox did sign him. There's a lot of talk over where's Hout going to be. Is he going to be in the bullpen, which is where I prefer, but perhaps he's going to be in the starting rotation. Well, if you have a guy like Stripling, you can kind of, you kind of mix and match If Hout's going to go in the rotation. All right. So Stripling will be your long guy out of the pen. And if Hout can't get past the, the order, you know, the, the second time, if he gets knocked around, you know, the third time through then, all right, well, that's not working out. So let's put stripling, uh, in the rotation. And he made a number of starts last year, uh, with Toronto and, you know, it was pretty effective. I mean, he had, let's see, he had a three Oh one, uh, ERA, uh, and in of his 32 games, 24 of them were starts. So, um, probably I'm guessing the most starts of his career. In fact, it was, uh, 19 the previous year. Uh, he did have 21 starts in, um, LA. Yeah. And I always forget he was a Dodger, but he was, um, yeah. His and- baseball reference page is so distracting to look at. <laughs> It it kind of is, and uh, he did. And that's interesting too, because I was just saying good things about the Dodgers program, but he was a very effective pitcher for them right through his rookie season till four years later. He got traded. His ERA always in the threes, and um, yeah. then he kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, you know, when he first arrived to Toronto, but year by year it, it got better and better. So. Just one of those interchangeable guys that could have given uh, Alex Cora a lot of options. You know, maybe Whitlock ne- would have needed to go to the pen. I mean, there's just so much you could have done with a guy like Stripling and had some flexibility there. Um, another interesting thing about him is I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in the offseason, he's a licensed stockbroker and investment advisor. <laughs> he's got all the fancy licenses. None of it's my language. Is it FINRA or whatever? Is that the big certification you need? I, I forget. Yeah. But anyway, so he's been featured on uh, the Fox Business Network, you know, giving, you know, stock breakdowns. And, um, and then interestingly, he trades stocks during the season. And why I think that's interesting is trading stocks is a form of gambling in a way. <laughs> so um, you can't, you couldn't possibly tie it into baseball at all, but it's, um, it sort of is. So like when I see that, I'm instantly thinking, you know, Pete Rose a little bit, but 
Um, but yeah, it's just so fascinating. He's probably intensely locked into the market during the morning, but you know, he's working on his change up or four seamer in the afternoon, like going from one to another. It's, uh, <laughs> It's just a really interesting guy. I tinker with the stock market myself a little bit, but um, I couldn't imagine having like a bullpen session be your like, oh, I need to take a break. Like I got to clear my head after a hectic morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just lost a third of my portfolio. Now I got to go face judge. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Yeah. And the other disappointing thing is, you know, he was having such a great year in the AL East and. That's what you like to see when you pursue guys. And that's one of the notes that I had jotted down, right? Is success against the AL East. Why not? I mean, not only is he strengthening our situation, he's weakening a team. Like that's that's best case scenario. Right. Absolutely. Um, so before we do wrap, uh, we should probably mention uh, this isn't pitching related, but uh, Christian Vasquez, three years, thirty million dollars to the. Minnesota Twins. I'm sure he was probably hoping there was some would be some Red Sox interest. He comes back home to Boston, but I think he's going to like the Twins. I think that's going to be a fun team. I think he's going to enjoy that staff. And with the White Sox kind of in flux and the Guardians never being super stacked, especially offensively, um, I wouldn't be shocked if the Twins make a run. I mean, they did have a couple of division wins in in recent years. Yeah, they're they're a frisky team. And, you know, I think this gets to the point now where Vasquez gets to be that locker room leadership kind of guy. Right. He had been a staple with the organization here in Boston and was a de facto leader. But, you know, he he never really got to flex those muscles, per se. You know, he always did well with the rotation, um, obviously was a was a great uh, defensive catcher and had some pop in the bat seemingly in very clutch moments. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, plus, you know, you platoon him with with Jerry Sanchez, and I don't know if there's a better offensive battery um, in in the league right now. I mean, you, you got potentially 50 home runs coming out of the catcher spot, which is unheard of. Um, so, I mean, yeah, would it have been great to see Vasquez back in Boston? Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, you know, maybe that's a deal that we we couldn't touch or didn't want to allocate resources towards. And the highest bidder one, he's got to do what's best for him and his family. I hope I hope nothing but the best for him. Yeah, and he got his uh, second ring. Yeah, he wasn't around 2013. So that was his second ring with the Astros. And it's interesting that he and Gary Sanchez are the tandem, you know, like on two sides of the rivalry. You know, they, they both had a front row seat to the Joe Kelly, Tyler Austin brawl, and were probably involved in, in some ways. But um, so it's kind of like an unholy alliance. And I wonder if Vasquez might be able to help make Gary Sanchez better. I bet he will in, in a way. And Defensively, I don't know how it's possible to be much worse. <laughs> may, maybe just a couple of tweaks and, and Gary's just a little bit better defensively. I, I have no idea. I think Gary has a, a pretty good arm, though. I don't think that was one of mm -hmm. his uh, drawbacks. And, of course, Vasquez had a cannon um as well with the red Sox, ha had a very good percentage of uh gunning down um you know people trying to steal so um twins aren't typically a team i really have a big problem with uh you know we've never really faced them in the playoffs and i potentially you know it could come down to a wild card race and and maybe 
Um, we'll have to deal with that, but. But I, you know, if if they do uh, well and go deep with Vasquez, more power to them. Yeah, uh, you know, like you mentioned with Sanchez, right? Like great arm, obviously a great bat. It really just came down to just defensively. It didn't seem like he he put the effort in, and and Vasquez is all heart and all effort. So you know, if a little bit of that rubs off on him, they could really be working working with something and you know you obviously have uh byron buxton in in center and he's electric when healthy and they've got a decent squad um could be something to watch maybe a dark horse for uh, for a pennant who knows it'd be fun to see in uh spring training when we do our predictions it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh max kepler because he's uh rumored to be kind of on the trade market but yeah they got luis arise jorge uh, Polanco, um, you know, Buxton, like you said, Kepler in the outfield. And I have a feeling they're not done. They'll probably make a couple of sneaky moves as well. Um, yeah, their pitching staff is this, I think they do have Sonny Gray still. So that's, uh, kind of interesting. Obviously Joe Ryan is their, uh, de facto ace got him in the Tampa deal, but uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see what Minnesota ends up doing. They're willing to. They did make some offers to Correa, so they are willing to spend a little bit of money. Um, yeah, I but, think they went what like ten two seventy two eighty somewhere in that range, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They uh, reported, they, of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who true. knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. I guess we will wrap on that. If uh, anything develops, the Red Sox have been, like I said, quiet uh, over the last week or so, uh, ever since the Xander departure. So um, if they uh, end up making a move, we'll be back on to cover it, uh, as well as any other major moves, perhaps a... um, you know, uh, another key shortstop that we were talking about earlier, Dansby Swanson, if, if he gets uh, a home, uh, we'll come on and discuss it. Everybody have a great rest of your week. Take care.